0: You are listening to the Bloom Podcast. I'm Magenta Siba. Today's episode is about disrupting the mainstream narrative of leadership with guest Kim Haxton, a First Nations facilitator and educator. Kim is Potawatomi, born on the Wassoxing First Nations Reserve in Canada. She has studied with Indigenous elders and traditional healers from Canada and the United States, Nepal, Thailand, Peru, Venezuela, Haiti, Mexico, and Belize. She works across corporate and native youth contexts to bring decolonization and healing to the way people share power on this planet. If this is your first time listening, this podcast is a production of Bloom Network. Bloom is an international community of people and groups who promote regenerative solutions for healthy relationships with each other and the natural world. Local Bloom chapters host educational workshops and community actions. And we connect online to share best practices with each other across the cities where we live. If there is a topic or guest you'd like me to cover on this show, please let me know. And you can support this podcast by making a donation at bloomnetwork.org members. Now let's get to this beautiful story time with Kim. Welcome to the Bloom podcast, Kim.
1: Thank you. Nice to be here on this wet coast fall day.
0: Nice to be speaking with you here from the foothills in California. Mm. So I'm going to start straight to the heart of the conversation. You talk about disrupting the mainstream narrative of leadership, and I'd love to know what you mean by that. Thank you. I think it's interesting.
1: We've all been, there's tons of different words you can use, and when I look at it, I look at how we've been domesticated. Um, or you can say colonized, or you can say a lot of things, but we've all been integrated into a sort of a mainframe of thought and behaviors and values. And as we can see with what's happening, it doesn't even matter in the United States or even in Canada or in the world, that it's that sort of mainframe way of of hyper-capitalism Hyper, um, well, inequity is is not working and it's not sustainable. And so my idea is: what are the interesting ideas and opinions that we have that aren't even ours that we uphold? As we can see that there's a gazillion examples of that 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 really aren't the truth. One of my teachers, uh, a man named Sequoia Trueblood, from a long time ago, he said, Kim. He's, he's Choctaw, uh, and he's, you know, with his thick accent, he's like, Kim, he, what how does he say? He goes, there's only there's only one law. He goes, there's man-made laws, and then there's natural laws. And right now, we're sort of seeing the emergence of the natural law in how we've been treating the earth with climate change and all of those sort of things, that the earth is, like, literally humbling us in certain areas of the world and things are drastically changing. And so on a metaphorical sort of literal way of looking at this whole thing, we're sort of seeing this, uh, it's not okay. You know, it's not okay to continue in this way. So it makes me think there's the big collective way and part of that, but then there's our individual way in which we uphold that sort of narrative. I see that because I've worked in different communities, indigenous communities around the world, as well as working in Europe and different all, with all sorts of communities and just seeing how some of the ideas and beliefs are really held in shame, blame, fear, and guilt. And those are the sort of things that stop us from really being able to do what's right. And I think that's the key piece is why don't we do what is right? And that's always been, I think, an ongoing question for a lot of us.
0: Mm-hmm. How are you finding in the media work that you're doing um, how are the leadership structures different and what does giving media access to indigenous people to youth or you know the yeah. the ownership of the media being from that place right how does that it, and that's, a,
1: that's a really interesting one it's funny i was just talking to a indigenous filmmaker about that two nights ago um but with, with the one program that we're working at is that, so indigenous cultures, I mean, every culture, we're storytellers mm-hmm. and so media allows the storytelling to, uh, it gives it an integrity when the youth are owning that and telling their own stories. And it's pretty phenomenal. Um, some of the stories that are coming forth, I'll ask permission, but I think I have a video that I can send you of one that was done by some 16 year old girls. We bring in mentors, people who have sort of technical either film experience or facilitation experience to help the youth tell their story, whatever that is. And it really is youth directed. Mm -hmm. Part of the systems that we live in, there's a lot of ageism and that can be sort of gone either way. But we live in a society where it's like, okay, well, the old people tell the young people what to do. And there's a part of which elders hold wisdom, but there's another part in which our society is patronizing to our youth voice. Um, I was at a conference last year, I think about community futures, and they were saying, you know, if you're at a municipal level, you need to have a multi-generational council in office, not just adults and i thought about that because i'm like yeah the youth need to take responsibility you know we infantilize our youth so anybody under 30 in canada is considered a youth which is like ridiculous you know people have children by the time you know people have complete families and jobs in their in their 20s you know Mm. so when we're saying oh you're just a youth it disempowers people so with youth voice and i I don't necessarily mean that age because I still think under 20 Mm -hmm. with youth voice emerging and telling their stories. It's an opportunity for people to listen. So we don't always listen to each other or we don't listen to the younger people because they're like, oh, well, they're just full of, they're just at that stage in their life. They're just angry. They're just all these things. But I think it's really powerful to how can we not include everybody? And I think that's the piece around leadership is like, how can we include everybody? We work right now from a, a sort of a top-down model, and how can we move from that sort of thinking into really inclusive, community-minded, cooperative way of working together so that we are actually taking ownership and we are really thinking about bigger structures and bigger places other than just going and getting a job and going home at the end of the day.
0: Right, you gave an example of talking with a, a city council. Can you give another example of a project that you've advised on having more inclusive leadership?
1: I'm on the board of directors for an organization called Schools Without Borders.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's been so
1: refreshing to uh, our sort of model is yes and, so that there's no put downs and that we're working in a way that we're like, okay, what are the projects that are outside of sort of the mainstream that are really making differences and how can we together support them? And on that board, we all have different expertise. You know, there's a tech person, there's a media person, and we actually secretly call ourselves, this is not a secret anymore, a board of wisdom, you know, and we giggle about that. Cause it's like, yeah, how can we do this? That's, so that's directed in the right way. So it's really not being fearful. I'm kind of stepping out here because we have the laws and the things which govern our societies. And sometimes because I'm on a different board and we're really like, okay, these are the rules that we have to run our meetings. And it's kind of ridiculous. The board becomes almost inactive because it's really boring. I'm going to say that. Uh It's really boring to follow all these rules that are like archaic because they were written. I don't even know when they were written. Instead of being like, wow, here's an emerging idea. And being in a place where we're ready to be. Organic in the way that we're willing to be like, this is amazing, let's do this, you know, instead of like, no, we have to follow these rules and these policies. We have collectively agreed that we're really holding the space for change makers, for people to get their voices out there, be able to cross pollinate is kind of the term that we use, you know, ideas and systems, which I think is really important.
0: That's really beautiful to hear. So we're sort of seeing the cracks
1: are there. I mean, the cracks are kind of. Glaring, I think, you know, mm. around the world with the leadership and the direction that we're heading right now. Right? I love the phrase "We live in a culture of make believe," and when we look around at what's sort of what's governing us right now, we're seeing this is absolutely ludicrous. I can mostly speak from Canada, but I can also speak to what I see branding my news feed every morning is like Trump, 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 which is like, oh my this this is so beyond ridiculous that this is okay, this is not okay. To have somebody who's just, you know, mentally unwell, who's working from their wounds, leading in a position of enormous power. You know, flipping the switch, um, with that one program I work with, Access Mm -hmm. to Media, we were doing a program in the schools a few years ago, and it was in a grade three, four class, and we were talking about oppression and how the youth speak to how they experience oppression, and mostly at that age, they were like, yeah, my big brother's mean, and, and I heard some kids say, yeah, the cops are mean, and, and those sort of things. I'm like, yeah, it's true. You know, your big brother is mean, or your big sister is mean. And then we um, – I saw this little brown arm raised at the back of the class, and she said, my name's Maya. I'm Nishka, which is a First Nations group from northern B.C., and she said the government and the corporations are trying to build pipelines through our community – but they don't understand real power, do they? And when she said that, I was like, that's it, kid. You know, don't forget that. We've all been kind of dumbed down from understanding true power. I get into arguments with people around this because we have a sense, not even a sensibility, but we have this need to sort of protect and defend through the lens of, let's say, academic interests you know, this is the right way instead of like, part of that is right. And also, there's other ways that are possible. And so I'm seeing there's this resistance and it's our egos, right? Because we've been, we must defend it is right and wrong, you know, black and white and all of those things. And We know that life isn't black and white. And I think this is the important part for speaking to disruption of leadership is that it is a spectrum. There is a spectrum, in ways that our communities are emerging, our ways in which we walk with each other are emerging. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the piece that's catching us, you know, because we we often get indoctrinated into the right and wrong. And you see that extremely instead of, yeah, but how can we meet in a middle ground? And that's the piece that we still don't see in our main frameworks of media. How do we understand that there's a spectrum and there's there's a place in which some of our ideas, our structures need to move beyond what they're currently in. So that's where a lot of the work stems from. But also seeing how we are indoctrinated on a personal level mm-hmm. and how those lenses through literally our bloodline, how we're raised, how we are educated, how we are our, our religions that we practice are those sort of things so influence and limit our ability to really see and to do what's right and again a lot of that across the board is blame shame guilt fear judgment and that's the piece that is limiting and so by sort of becoming self-aware and i start with that place you know a lot of the old Mm -hmm. wisdom cultures have that place of really it's about your self-awareness before the leadership comes in because Obviously, right now, we have people in leadership powers, positions of power that are really not self-aware at all. I mean, self-absorbed, yes, but not self-aware, you know, to do what's right. You know, with a with place of understanding what is respectful, what is, you know, relationships of reciprocity, relationships of responsibility. It really is a self-absorbed, me, me, me kind of place in which we place a lot of leadership I'm seeing that emerge. We're all seeing that emerge. And I think in this day and age, we're seeing some really cool programs and um, different things come forward, but it's still not mainstream yet. And not that it has to be mainstream, but we're just seeing it being, you know, because people are kind of in bewilderment of like, what's going on? Hang on a second. My dream is just an illusion, you know, and it kind of is. And so how can we dream something new together? How can we bring in something which is really honoring, honoring the earth that we live on. you know I'm I'm an indigenous woman and for me my biggest place is you know on the land you know and my relationship with it with with all of everything that is on the land, the plant medicines, the animals, all of this all of my leadership experiences comes from spending immense amount of times living in the mountains and living on the ocean and those sort of things you know without with doing a right relationship, and uh, but within the mainstream, like how do we get people to have that right relationship, you know? Mm-hmm. And it is interrupting the narratives around race, around power, around you know economic, economics, social economics, around poverty. I mean, the list goes on. And all of I don't have a dream or an idea that it's all going to be some sort of la 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 rainbows and sunshine. Like that's that's not how the you know that's not how we exist here. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and and the the possibilities of letting go of the judgment, whether it's good or bad. You know, violence isn't okay. Violence is terrible. War is terrible. And yet we still continue to do it. And it seems even in a lot of old cultures, they would fight each other. I think it's just, I mean, I look at animals and they fight. So I think there's a part of that that is part of our systems. But there's also in which you can press a button, button right now and demolish a whole way and... You know, it's unimaginable what what happens at the end of that.
0: I have two veins of question that come up from what you're describing. Um, and the, the first is asking you about the sensory capacity um, stuff that you teach. And if you bring that into, like if you're asked to consult on a project around leadership, do you bring that into that context or do you see a role yeah. for helping people sense more deeply to to place and others in transforming those bigger leadership patterns yeah thank you for
1: touching on that because this is actually the main frame in which i sort of have been working with and it's the compass that i work with with people and i do it in a very mainstream place so uh, my experience uh this is a bit of a story, so I hope you don't mind. Um yes please. <laughs> so years ago I was I have a friend named Mutang who is Panan from um from Malaysia and his family are medicine people and and Mutang leaves a story with me about this is when it started, about how some science guys came and uh, were asking them how do you know which plants go together? something like 30,000 species of green plants. You know, how do, how do you know? Where, where does your knowledge come from? And the medicine man said to them, um, because the plants sing, and if the notes harmonize, you can make a medicine. If they don't harmonize, you're going to make a poison. And I remember when Mutang told me that 20-some-odd years ago. I remember just being like, what? You know, i got to clean up my ears because I don't hear any plants singing. And along my path, uh, I... Was working with um, some people from the Piare, uh tribe down in Venezuela from the Orinoco Basin, and I asked Jose Luis one day we were we were making some medicines, and he's I said to him I said Jose Luis you know how do you guys know which plants go to go together, and so 20, 20 years later I think it was maybe it was only fifteen, he said because the plants sing. And he said, if they make harmonies, then you mix the plants together. If they don't harmonize and you're, you know, said this, virtually the same thing. So here are pe- first peoples that live in different parts of the world that have this knowledge. And I started thinking about that and reflecting upon that and thinking, wow, we don't, in a modern context, most of us don't have that ability. And then the third story on top of that was uh, an, an Aleut elder. Um, name Larry Murlikoff, Mer- I think is how you pronounce his name. And I was listening to him and he was talking about, you know, how do you know? And it started with, how do you know? And he went to, um, he was on the ice and they were hunting seals and they have these ice holes and he said everybody was standing around chit chatting and, and talking and then moments before the seal popped its head up, everybody just went silent. And then a seal would pop its head up, and they would get it. And he's like, time and time again, it was the same thing. Everybody was standing around drinking tea and chatting, and then all of a sudden, quiet. And he he was like, it was it was pretty remarkable. And he said, "Now, how do you know that?" And they just kind of look at him. So, what do you mean? How do you know you? It. And nobody could really answer him. He's like, "You just know when to be quiet," <laughs> you know. And and I thought about that, and I thought, wow, here's this place of deep knowing yeah. that let's say a mother has with her child
2: mm-hmm. you know
1: that we that we experience or a father has with their children you know you can feel something's not right most of us can feel things and most of us are unaware that they are actual tools um besides our brain recently in the recently in, in the past 40 years um they discovered that the heart has neurons you know and the actual organs have neurons so they actually has that has intelligence like other parts like the brain. Um, most of us are running from our, our brain from, I call it the itty bitty shitty committee. Sorry. You might have to edit that. (laughs)
0: That's fine. (laughs) You know,
1: it's the reptilian part of our brain, which, you know, when we experience trauma, um, goes fires up and goes around and kind of creates a rut in the road in our, in our brain. So if we're experiencing fear or anger, You know, that's our first response when we experience stress and we go into automatic being a bully or being a an avoider or, you know, the list goes on. And I realized how much that was influencing our styles of leadership. People in modern times say, oh, it's our sixth sense. But it's like beyond that, the ancient Egyptians say that we have 12 senses, but we've lost them due to the type of education we go into, which is very cognitive. And instead of like our felt senses. There's a whole sort of space in which we have this abilities that has been completely dumbed down, you know? And I think we're on sensory overload. Um, I think anxiety, depression, a lot of those things are sort of like flags to show us that's like, there's something else, there's something else, but we're still looking. There's a story that I like to share when I'm working, even with adults. And uh, my friend, he always says, this is a true Mohawk story, but I, he kind of says they're all true mohawk stories so i don't necessarily think it's a mohawk story but the story kind of goes like this and it's like uh, the creator gathered all of the beings all of the winged ones the the four-legged the ones that swim and said i've got something for the humans but we need to hide it so they'll spend lifetimes looking for it eagle says i'll take it to the moon and creator says nah they'll they'll get there someday and Squid says, I'll take it to the deepest part of the ocean. You know, ant says, I'll take it into my tunnels. And creators like, nah, nah, they're gonna, they're gonna dig it up. They're gonna, you know, they'll fly there. They'll get there. They'll swim there. They'll, you know, they'll do all these things. And so this, this deliberation went on with all of the animals from all around. And finally, it was a little jumping mouse that came up, and the little jumping mouse was like, psst, 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 Creators like, that's it. They'll spend lifetimes looking for it. And where did they put it? they put it inside their chest. So it's interesting that just recently that, you know, they've discovered uh, discovered that the heart has neurons, you know? So the thing that we're looking for, you know, the piece of the puzzle we're looking for is actually here. It's interesting, so we live in a society which is, you know, a hierarchical society. Do you have an, are you an A student or, or a D student, or C student, whatever? And it's very much a cognitive place. And the place of empathy, the place of which guides us from our heart, um, with the exception of certain uh, cultural practices, meditation, um, take us away from that. The word courageousness, cur in French, translates as heart. So uh, I learned last year in a leadership course, you know, bravery is strategic. And when we think of uh, wars and generals, it's like they are strategic. They need to be. In what they do. But when you think of courageousness, it really comes from the heart. And when I think of leadership, we use the word courageous, but it's not necessarily what it is, you know? The person entering the burning building to save somebody's life is courageous. The person that is, you know, like what just happened in Las Vegas, there was a bunch of courageous people there who helped other people, you know? And I think there's a really good point in that is so our senses really allow us to expand into what's right. You know, I don't want to get into the right and wrong, but to, you know, to lead with compassion, with empathy, to have understanding rather than to create, I'm right, you're wrong, you know, and just punch up against each other, you know, because that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You know, we have more mental health problems in the world than ever. But I really believe it's just because we've moved so far away from a deeper sense of awareness or listening you know we're not going to save the birds and the bees we're not going to be able to do that or the salmon or any of that stuff until we sort of come into this place of right relationship and it begins with ourselves. you know how do i treat myself how do i walk with myself you know and and how do i walk with my neighbors you know and how do i how do i stand in this and i really believe it's important to stand up for injustice just to make that clear because people are like oh but like No, no, no. It's important to say no, but with your no, it's also a hand extended out to be like, but here's a solution or here's another opportunity or something else, rather than no, shut down, I'm right, you're wrong, which is what we tend to do. How we've been indoctrinated to look at the world is just so limiting, I think. Yeah. You know, words, language, and yet there's so much more. So the senses are a place in which I've been working with in sort of starting that narrative of like, can we listen to the plant world we can't even listen to each other you know what i mean we can't yeah there's so many, there's so many stories of interspecies communication where an animal has come up and and we you know you see it on our news feeds we're like oh that was so awesome that whale came to had something like a plastic in them or something tied up in a net and came to the humans and and it's like yeah like there's intelligence beyond anything we can possibly imagine but we're so caught in this like Um, righteous uh, self-limiting belief system or egoic system that is not serving it's not really serving i mean it has a service i guess but you know not in a way that's uplifting
0: can you share some more about the work in the democratic republic of congo that you did i'm curious like the process there of working through um, trauma or dislocation from the plant ecosystems and the collective wisdom there just curious to hear more details about that
1: so um what an amazing place (laughs) it is so physically beautiful there um and the paradox or the high contrast is the amount of pain so uh my brief history of it um the belgians had uh originally sort of the strong the colonial stronghold there uh king leopold went there and, I don't know, executed millions of people in the late 1800s and really disgusting slavery, disgusting, disgusting. And then the Belgian government took it from him because he was making so much money, King Leopold. And then since then, it's been uh, super negative, right? Super, super negative and super heavy and super... um, Full of war, full of trauma, full of oppression and self oppression and, you know, and, and, and really amazing. So I got invited to go there a number of years ago to do trauma based work with women to train leaders to work in their own communities. And so when I went there, I had my first year was really about consulting people and asking people what was going on. Um, one of the things that I did, which people were like, What are you doing? And I'm like, You know, I want to honor uh, when, as an Indigenous person, one of the practices that we do is to honor the territories and the ancestors in which we come to. So if I was coming to your area of the world in California, I would want to honor the ancestors and the traditional people of those lands. And when I opened that up, that began the first conversation. They were like, no one's ever done that before. No one's ever come here and we don't even do that. What are you talking about? And so I started with 16 women, and we started doing um, uh, stuff around healing and trauma work. And, and what, I, what I started seeing there was people saving for, for example, uh, outdated Western medicines that they can't afford because they earn 50 cents a day. Um, what I saw there was uh, lots of starvation, children dying, not just children, adults from uh, malnutrition and yet it's a really lush tropical place it's made it's so beautiful and uh, people are displaced from the land because of war um uh in of 16 women all eight of them had been raped brutally raped at some point in their lives and so the statistics over there are quite huge and you know and it's super related to how the earth is treated with the with the amount of Uh, the Congo's worth trillions of dollars for the untapped mines and gas and different things that are there. So it's kind of, it's kind of plagued by this eternal war and it's multinational companies that are also, it's, it's very complicated. And on that level I'm not going to get into that because it's like, it's quite, it's quite disgusting. Um, But so the whole idea was to go over there and teach an, an indigenous methodology of, of healing trauma. And Uh, one thing that is common wherever you go in the world there's five things that are healing singing dancing storytelling some sort of form of prayer meditation and the fifth one um, is connecting to nature the natural world right Um, I started asking them questions of like well don't you use this medicine instead like a plant and they were like what are you talking about and And uh, it started with a, I was in a small village and there was a little medical clinic and it was like basically a room and the doctors were there and their pharmacy in there was, I don't know, I think there were like maybe three jars with some medicines and a couple of bandages, literally. And I was like, wow, this is so crazy. And they're like, this is the birthing room. And it was like an old tarp that was disgusting um, on a single bed where you couldn't move around. And that's where the women birth their babies and and I was like, Wow, this is so crazy and the doctor's like, Yeah, we don't have medicine. And we walked out and growing around the whole there was a there was a hedge going around the the clinic and it was of a plant medicine that is used, I know, um in South America and Central America for uh for helping women give birth. Wow and to make sure that Yeah, and I'm like, Well, this is the medicine here and they were like, What? you know, and I'm like, and there was a little plant on growing on the ground. I'm like, this year is for this year for diabetes, you know, and this, this will really help people with their cleanse. And they were just like, what, wait a second, how come you know this? And I'm like, I don't know how I know this, but I know these things. <laughs> I know a little bit of a couple things. And, and, and so what I started doing is started asking the women about, you know, what, what plant medicines to use to, to heal. And first response was, well, that's the devil's medicine yeah that's, that's witchery and i was like wait a second that's so silly you know creator made all this right true and everybody's like yeah and i'm like so creator made all these plants and the creator made them for you to use and through colonization a lot of the te- your traditional teachings are being cut out without offending people because every you know religion is the is the thing that holds and weaves the community together as much as it also breaks apart you know mm-hmm. the paradox. And um, so the head of the Catholic Church and the head of the Pentecostal Church met with me to be like, who are you? What are you doing here? You're not with a big NGO, and and I'm like, well, you know, um, uh, in one worldview there's a story about a man and a woman named Adam and Eve, and they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, true, and they're were all we're all in agreement. And I'm like, yeah, in another worldview we don't have that story about getting kicked out of the Garden of Eden. We never left. And then they laughed and they're like it's true and i'm like i don't understand why you have a teaching why you have teachings that there's you know we're apart from the natural world of women you know there's all these plant medicines to help us heal um and so over a period of four years i trained now over 1500 women have been trained i train trainers to train work with other women in their communities and uh we've been uh we're able to buy some land Uh, Thanks to uh, a couple here in Vancouver sent money to buy land. And so now there's a a group of women in one of the villages who have been learning plant medicines, revitalizing the plant medicine culture and also growing food to feed themselves. You know, in that village, uh, some of the women in that in that group, they had malnutrition. Their children had malnutrition. And I was like, that doesn't make sense because, look, this plant here, you can drink the tea and you'll get the vitamins you need for Combating malnutrition and the doctor in that community was like what this is amazing and I'm like What do you mean? This is amazing. This is what God gave you <laughs> your You know, there was a woman in that village um, I went to visit one time and uh, There was a woman in the village. The doctor was late for a meeting and a woman He came in and he said "Oh, a woman. She just had a miscarriage, you know, and I was like, oh, that's really sad and uh, he said she just had a miscarriage and there's nothing I can do. I don't have anything to help her stop the bleeding. And he's like, but that's how it is. It's life and death all the time. And I'm like, oh, that's, oh, you know, well, what, do you, what do you say to that? We walked out of the building and there the plant was at this different village that the Mayans use for stopping hemorrhaging and bleeding. And I looked at him and I said, you know, get the water on and let's give her, let's make some tea for her and this will help her. And it did help her. So the doctor, again, it's like, um, one of my neighbors, um, I think this is an important story to, to tell in this one. One of my neighbors at the place I was staying in is a like career mil- Belgian military guy who works sort of in operatives where he trains security forces to do whatever they do. And, uh, uh yeah, some really kind of, interesting interesting work and i asked him you know i'm like ooh, i want to be his friend because he you know we live in opposite worlds and and um and i said to him i said well you know in our nights of hanging out and conversations i said you know he's like what's the work you're doing i'm like it's about decolonization and he's like he's like this is decolonization and and the city that we're in bukavu is is really quite um it's like the big old structures that were built in the sixties are like empty and like ghosty. And, and yet there's a, you know, really thriving population of people that move there because they're dislocated from rural areas because of the rebel groups. So it's quite overpopulated. And, um, and he said, this is, they've been decolonized for 50 years. And I'm like, are you kidding? These are the echoes of colonization of how the government isn't working and how you've created another culture, imposed another culture, values, ideas, And you've left that and they have lost their own place in which they're perpetuating their colonization, whether it's through the economic system, through, you know, and and extreme on that, you know, of people say, oh, it's corrupt. And I'm like, no, no, that's just the culture that they've learned to do from colonized countries. You know, when I ask people what the tribal affiliations were, people were like, what are you talking about? you know, and then people would talk about that. I'm like, oh, so you're the people from here. And, and so with this military guy, I said, you know, yeah, but that's, he said, I've never looked at it like that. I've never looked at this as the effects of colonization. And he said, I've been in, working in Africa and different countries for, and colonized places that have, are in war and pro, have problems.
2: He goes, I've never, ever thought about that. And I was like, yep, there's a holy shit moment right there. And I said, you know, he's like, wow. He said, you're teaching plants. And he's like, "I've I, we don't get, I, he goes, in all my years of work, I've never seen people doing this work, you know. And I'm like, amazing, you know. And I'm like, he said, it's time, you know. It's time. And I asked him in one of our conversations, I said to him, I said, you know, so you were telling a career like a young soldier coming in at the beginning of his career, like, how is he going to deal? We know that post-traumatic stress and the sort of the things that are happening specifically in Canada and the United States with with young men and women coming back from war zone areas and their experience of trauma is really negative, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and debilitating how is it that you've been in as a career soldier and been in war zones? How is it that you've dealt with it? He's like, oh, you know, first, you know, like, uh, I'm just fine. And I'm like, no, no, how is it that you do? And then it turned out that he has a
1: farm. He has five acres of land in Belgium in which he Farms. And he's like, well, when I go home, I normally just dig and plant. And I'm like, yeah, it's called medicine. And he just
2: went, whoa, I've never looked at that. And he's like, yeah, that's what I've done to help me deal with all the things I've ever experienced. That's exactly. You know, those are part of the things that he, help us heal and change. And, and so connecting to the natural world, we know what happens when we go for a walk on a beach and we feel like, wow, that was amazing. Or we go for a walk in the forest. I mean, some people are scared, you know, of that because of indoctrination, I guess. But it's
1: like it's like the natural world doesn't hurt you. Humans hurt you. <laughs> you hurt each other, you know? And, and so so it's interesting in the whole sort of the Congo was about getting people connected to this, you know, planting seed literally for people to like take up their own knowledge, you know, and to pass it around and to also move away from their like, okay, the NGO model has set up a model there where it's like, okay, give us money, give us money. You're a Mazungo. I'm like, I'm not a Mazungo you know, that would mean white person or, you know, but I guess I kind of, it's all relative. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: your change in your culture isn't going to come from the outside, it has to come from within your culture, from each other and and
1: the colonization has done a great number of creating distrust you know, and that le- has,
2: has left that legacy generationally to not each other to not trust your neighbors you know, and, and I can say for sure that's colonization you know, I can say that, you know, as an indigenous person in Canada, you know, the effects of colonization, you know, have had a huge Impact, you know, on our cultures. I mean, when I step over the border in the United States, that in itself is, is another huge sort of gap that gets overlooked more in the States than here. But so we're seeing, uh, the, the Congo was really amazing, uh, you know, dropping some seeds and working with leaders of, of doing work. I, it's funny, I was just in contact with a, one of my friends over there who did the training and she was just talking about the empowerment it is to be able to not have to go to the doctors, to be able to take care of, let's say, a common cold, yeah. or to take care of some of these things, you know? And, and so I think there's a, when we talk about healing, you know, and when we talk about decolonization, they go hand in hand. You know, it's not some, some sort of ideological thing, but it really comes from a place in which we work that work from within ourselves and then can help each other, the capacity to help each other.
1: How can we have a deeper awareness? And most of us are working from our wounds on the way that we interact with each other, our relationships. But how can we heal that sort of stuff? In my culture, we talk about healing the wounds of our ancestors. And literally, that's for everybody. I just got back from a trip from Europe and I was in Ireland and just going, wow, the years of pain on that land. The years of unacknowledged suffering and things that have happened. And when I look at the modern part of Ireland and I see... A culture that's in a lot of discomfort, you know, whether it's economically or socially, there's a lot of amazing things there, but there's a place there in which the main frame of the culture through religion perpetuates the shame guilt fear sort of paradigm instead of like, Oh, hang on a second. It's time that we change these things. It's time that we own these things and so that we can make the changes and allow each other to help each other to make those changes. And so the paradigm place in which I look at is like, how is your self-awareness? The main thing that I'm seeing right now that's been really big is around big words of white guilt, white supremacy, you know, all of those sort of places. And I don't want to put the word white on it because that has connotations, but in the way in which we're living in an unbalanced system. And how do we get people to recognize privilege? How do we get people to recognize all of these things in which are still carrying this big train forward of destruction yeah. instead of like a hang on a second we need to get off that train and there's got to be something else because there's good values in a lot of the religions and all of that sort of stuff there's absolutely amazing things but there's also things in which like oh those are man-made laws of those aren't the teachings of you know lifting each other up and i think that's the big thing is like how can we sort of stop and not be full of shame that okay i've been acting in this way for this many years or you know, how can we actually heal, mm-hmm. you know? And so I look at like the prison system and people coming out of there and all the sort of stigmatization or the, the list is endless when we look around us, you know, of all these things. And it's like, okay, how can we move, step forward? How can we heal? that you know, How can we heal that deep anger? How can we heal that thing so that we're walking in a right way together mm-hmm. instead of excluding people instead of, and it takes a community. And we don't have that in a modern sense. We don't really have community. You know, I live in an apartment where I really don't know my neighbors. We say hello, but that's as much as we do. You know, when I walk down the street, we actually look at people and smile. And if you do, people are like, what do you want? (laughs) You know, and I'm just like, holy smokes. Like, hi. Hi, human. How are you? You know, and and, and I see that in some of the worlds that I get to, you know, I really get to walk through worlds from mainstream corporate worlds to people living in, jungles, people living in the bush and living authentically in the way that they have for years. You know, I, I got to spend time in the Sierra Madras of the Tarmar people in a place where there was no garbage. There was no, there was no anything. It was eight-hour walk-in, you know, and it was really phenomenal to see people who were living in a way that they have for a thousand years. And I don't have that for any of us. You know, I think of my friends who drive their fancy cars and live in the city But there's a place that we try to, like, make ourselves feel good, right? And in our making ourselves feel good, the awareness that we're not even participating in modern day slavery with the cheap clothes that we buy from one of those stores, any of those stores, you know, so that we can look good. But we have this idealized that it is an illusion. It's all collapsing. It's not sustainable, nor should it be, you know, with all this renewable energy. And it's because of money, you know, the power thing. That we still are maintaining this illusion, right now. I think Puerto Rico is a really amazing thing, where the mainstream government is not really doing anything, but individual people and communities are doing really amazing thing. There was a prison, I don't even know where it was, and they the prisoners put together fifty two thousand dollars themselves to send to Puerto Rico. You know, which I was like, that's oh.
0: doing right. Holy crap! You know I mean?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So, so I see those things, and I'm just like that's doing what's right, you know, that's doing what's right. And that's that's authentic leadership because, you know, this top-down leadership is just really, it's not serving the collective, it's just serving themselves, you know. And how instead of calling people out, you know, because we often get caught in that, you know, especially in the social justice world, we call each other out. But it's like uh, as a grandmother, when I think of the grandmothers, it's like calling you in,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, schooling you, but calling you in. And I think there's a real sort of, there's a flip on disruption of the narratives of that. How can we like, hey, I'm curious about what you're saying. I don't agree with you. And let's talk about that and try to, you know, and oh, what did you ever think about this? And, and that's one of the things where I've traveled to places and I've had discussions with people who could be very righteous to be like, yeah, but what about this? And people are like, oh, I never thought about that. But that's what we've learned, you know, and. I think uh, one of the, my conversations was around gay and lesbian people when I was in the Congo. and I mean, it's a pretty uh, homophobic area. And I'm like, wait a second, you're telling me God made a mistake? I don't think so. You know, and they were like, what? And I'm like, yeah, let's, let's think about this, you know, and sort of de- deconstruct the idea. So it's being able to have patience with people to sit through the discomfort, right? That's mm-hmm. the big thing. We have a lot of discomfort. And... I don't need to be right, but if we can all drop seeds with each other. I like the organization's called the Bloom Network, you know, because it is. It's about dropping seeds with each other. How can we really deepen what we're doing right now to create a shift? I mean, the shift is already happening. You know, it's not really a fun shift, but how can we create the holy shift? Because that's kind of what we need to deepen what is right. Because I think we live in a pretty self-absorbed culture here. And realizing that we all come from this magnificent, magnificent place. You know, I love listening to, um, there's a science guy in the States, uh, Neil, Tyson, Neil deGrasse. Yeah, that guy. And I just love the way he talks about things. And I'm just like, whoa, he, talks, you know, he gives holy shift moments every moment when he talks about, I think he, he talked about Andromeda, which is the only galaxy we can see with the naked eye. And that light reached us when our ancestors started using bowls and plates, I think. And I'm like, who figured that out? Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's amazing. And so the awe and wisdom, the awe that exists in, we are so caught in our, literally, with our cell phones and our, our self-absorbed lifestyles, instead of this awe. There's so much beauty in creation, in music, in art, and all of this, we have the ability for such intense in beauty you know when you meet somebody like somebody who's highly evolved you walk into a room and you can just feel them and they have this presence about them and i remember the first time uh, it was the monk uh nick the buddhist monk little guy
0: um yeah i never know how to pronounce their name yeah that little guy (laughs) that's out of respect right as we do
1: that with animals we have names for them that respect them. So I respect that, that man. And there's a person who just emanates such incredible, something different, something totally different. And I'm like, wow. Ah, and there's a shift in meeting people like that when we meet each other, but I'm like, wow, there's something else that's happening here, you know, and there's something else, you know, we meet people who are oppressive. I mean, we have that with Hollywood, right? In, in North America with, ooh, it's, such and such a movie star and it's like yeah but you know why why do we put power into that why do we give that you know again it's it, which is interesting because it fits in it, we live in a culture of illusion of make-believe you know where we're like oh if i could be a movie star and, you know we have this collective uh fantasy you know and it's like wait a second that's not real you know why do they make millions of dollars and yet somebody working in the trenches and let's say inner city somewhere serving people, you know, barely makes a living, or a teacher barely makes a living. Our culture is, is ludicrous, and we carry that out within our systems, within ourselves. It's time to start disrupting that, to be like, well, whose interesting opinion idea is that anyways, you know? I was hanging out with a buddy of mine who's a mechanic. He's been a mechanic for 40 years for the for the city, and the man is so wise, and, he, and he's so humble. He's like, oh, no, I, I don't really know anything. I just... You know and and he's always dropping bits of wisdom it's it's really beautiful and i'm like yes thank you thank you brother and and yet our society says no um you know the person that has a lot of money or the person whatever what we what we equate with real power isn't authentic power or wisdom you know right it's power over and so switching that power over to understanding that power comes from within that little girl who said you know the government and the corporations don't understand real power. I'm like, no, most of us don't. We've lost those traditional teachings, you know? And I think that's a really big place in which we have these senses, right? Going back to the senses, we have this ability to feel and see and understand things in such a deeper way than our little brain box. And especially the itty bitty shady committee that governs our brain box into something that is like far more wiser, far more expansive. You know, and it's not just us from the worldview in which I come from. Our ancestors are here. And it's not just a figuratively speaking, you know, my grandmothers are here. My grandfather is here. And it's not, uh, I can't physically see them. Sometimes I do, but they are here. And so there's like worldviews that keep us separated. But understanding that there's such wisdom. I have
0: this image as... You're talking of these like curtains parting of those oppressive and hierarchical systems and the way that we've internalized them in our visions and our sensory systems and the the way we treat each other. Totally.
1: There is something deeper. There's something more. And what is that? You know, let the light in. And we're in a time where our egos, there's a death, a collective death that's happening for all of us, you know? And how can we be open to what's possible and surrender? you know, surrender the things that aren't working. And how can we be in our strength and understand that our power is that? I see so many people who are like, Oh, but I'm not allowed to do this And I'm like, says who? You know, and they're like, What? Uh well, um I'm like, Yeah, you can let go of that because you are you have the power of letting go of old fears, old habits, things that keep us and, you know, really not being fearful. I really feel we're at a crossroads in our society. And part of the thing is that we have uh a lot of mistrust but how do we trust you know i i really hate the catchphrase well the universe is here to help and the universe doesn't give a rat's ass about you or me or anything the universe is so so big and so expansive and it's just like that is divine intelligence you know how that the cosmos exists how we exist how this computer how you and i can talk this is this is the something which is bigger what you can do is we can trust that everything's going to show up the way it is so the trumps the people that are in positions of power are just going to, they're going to perpetuate the same thing. We can trust that. But then how do we not fall into, you know, the opposite of mistrust to be able to, okay, what can we do to do the right thing? I love the Mohawk elder who passed away, Sarah Smith, grandmother Sarah Smith. There's a whole bunch of elders from different communities talking about. We're in a place where we're birthing something new. And when you're in labor, there's a lot of uncertainty because you're in extreme amounts of pain and you just... You want to call and get out of there. This got to stop. And it could go on for days like that, you know, but we're birthing something new and we don't know what's going to happen. You know, it's like I've never given birth, but I've just watched a few and I'm like, holy smokes, like what's happening? Even though we know that hopefully there's going to be a baby that gets comes out of it. But we don't know that either. You know what I mean? Things happen. So so I see that, you know, literally we're in a place of birthing something new. And it's like we need to not hold on to some of the old stuff. We need to sort of walk in a place where we're like, yeah, this is this is this is it." So giving youth access to and people access to a voice and to communicating, I think is a really important thing. My work is guided from the earth and our relationship with the plant world. And how do we listen? How do we not walk down the street and see somebody who's, let's say, let's say, a street and trans person and be like, oh, don't talk to them, you know? I'm a person. I like to give out hugs to people because I'm like, yeah, we all need to be touched and held, and, and people are like, thank you, thank you for seeing me, thank you for just seeing me as a human, you know. And, right. and so until <laughs> we can all learn our manners to be able to be like, hi, how are you, and even the polarities of people who have interesting opinions, ideas, and ideologies that are like opposite of yours, you know, how can we create the human connection, and that's the peace, you know, in which. We get past our fear and the ideas of otherness or whatever that is that those people are like this or like that and it's like wow it's such a limiting you know the limiting beliefs that we've held in our societies and also within our organizations because they're really one-sided we're seeing organizations emerging where we're seeing fair wage pays, you know and that the ceos aren't taking millions of dollars which is like ludicrous. It's a hoarding problem, right? It's a mental health problem where people have billions of dollars. It's like, why do you need more? You have more than, you know, it's it's probably spendable in a lifetime. And and you're just this self-absorbed, right? You know, self-absorbed is okay when you're inside of that. But on the outside, it's, you know, it's super destructive. So moving away from this or that into this and that. And that kind of alleviates, again, as we're disrupting the narrative, it's this and that. It is a different frame in which we can start to look at ourselves and the things around us. Like, how can we understand to blend? How do we bring things together? How do we blend incompatible elements? How do you bring fire and water together without putting out the fire because the water boils over? Or, I guess you guys are on fire down down south. How can fire and air, you know, how we've lost our connection. An elder this summer said to me, she said, the fires represent a big smudge. And the smudge is that the earth is, is hurting and is praying for us. And I thought, wow, that's a different slip. You know, fires have always been part of most cultures. Most of us have forgotten uh, the teachings around that. You know? mm-hmm. And so we're in this place where we're kind of stuck in these old patterns, and we get caught in this downward spiral about that. And I don't want to be like, yeah, everything's all, no, it's not. The reality is, is that we need to do a lot of work together and we need to lift each other up. You know, we need to like, okay, this universe is so magnificent and, and, and huge. We're part of that. And we are so taught that we're not, you know, that we're not part of the universe and like, How did the Earth? When you start looking at the history of how the Earth got made, you know, however long ago, you know, the timelines are impossible. You know, since we only live to be eighty or seventy-five or whatever we live to, you know, we're just like a little blip. And how do we create meaning and move away from the fear?
0: Thank you so much for sharing your experiences and wisdom and the windows into you healing that you have from being in these different places and contexts and just really grateful to you for sharing that with me and with all the listeners of this podcast and really just feel in my body all all the all the goodness that you and then and the awareness and clarity um, that you bring thanks so much Kim
2: my pleasure it's been really awesome often knowing that it's people doing really cool works but this shift that we're in right especially around leadership and how we view ourselves within that's so important thank you
0: gonna be strong gonna be fine we got the love we don't need.